understand that you're going to launch in here, you're going to watch my star levitate. Everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never seems to. Oh, yes, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, friends. I want to thank you guys for coming out. i got to thank our friends here at Elm Street before I do anything else, because I'll forget it if I don't. Uh, generally, we meet over across the street at the Woodward Event Center, uh, and our amazing dream team comes in every morning and sets it up, and we have a service there. But uh, for Christmas Eve, the event center's closed, and our friends here at Elm Street didn't have plans, so they allowed us to host a service here. If you would, can we give a hand to Elm Street for that? Yes. Hope you guys are having an awesome Christmas so far. Uh, I am. I, I can't believe I've made it this far, but I have not even watched one single Hallmark movie Amen. up to this point. <laughs> and I think that is to be praised. Um, how many of you, uh, you're not finished with your Christmas shopping yet? Wow, you guys are on it. How many, okay, so this is my crowd. How many of you were done like three weeks ago with all of your Christmas shopping? You guys are the people we don't like. <laughs> Make it hard on all of us. Uh, I went to Walmart. I was going to get my hair cut earlier, and I, I pulled into the parking lot, and I was like, no. <laughs> I'm not going into that war zone today. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and grab them. Um, and if you don't, we have a Bible in front of you. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, uh, verses 25 uh, through verse uh, 34. I know what you're thinking. That's not about baby Jesus. I came to hear about baby Jesus. And we love baby Jesus, but we also love grown-up Jesus. Um, the one who is the king, the one who fulfills what baby Jesus was called to do. And really this week as I was preparing, I kept coming back to Mark chapter 5. And it really does connect to the birth of Jesus. And we're going to get there together. Uh, but I want to start by telling you who this message is for and who it is not for. Uh, this message is not for those of you who have no interest in Jesus being your Savior. In other words, if your life is all figured out, you've got everything you need inside of you, you have peace right now, you have joy right now, you're not crushed with guilt, shame, condemnation, and fear, this message is not for you. Praise God, I'm so glad you came, and I would love for you to sit there and listen to what I have to say, but this message wasn't written for you. Likewise, it's also not for those of you who maybe are in church every single week, and you're here, and this is your third Christmas Eve service to come to, and you just kind of want to hear what I say, and you're going to kind of judge me when I say the wrong thing, because you are here as an act of righteousness. Like, you think you are better because you are here. Uh, this message is not for you either, because you've got it figured out. This message is for those of us who know we are broken. A message for those of us who know there has to be more to this life. When we lay our heads down on the pillow at night, there's a feeling of shame, guilt, anger, fear, or just this sense of gnawing that you're not all that you could be or that this life is not all that it could be. Because this message is for people who are like the woman we see here in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 25. It says, Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. And you see, that doesn't really mean much to us in our culture. But in the Jewish culture, what we'll learn as we go on is that blood made you ritually unpure. In other words, you weren't right with God if you were bleeding. 
Um, and this is, we could go into why blood was this, and it's kind of weird, and it's archaic. And, and the good news is we live under the grace of Jesus now, so this doesn't apply to us. But in the Jewish thinking, blood was the, the life of something. So if you were bleeding, you were not fit to be in the presence of God, which meant this lady would have been an outcast. Her whole life would have changed, like somebody with leprosy. And this lady, you can just feel the pain as you read. She had suffered much over 12 years under doctors trying to fix this. And I I don't know about you, uh, but there came a point in my life where I realized that if I was going to be made right, if I was going to be made uh, restored, if this world around me that is so broken was going to be fixed, it was going to have to come from somebody outside of us, somebody outside of me. And I find it interesting because that is the one thing we all agree on, and that is that our world is broken. Now, we disagree on how we accomplish it. If you don't believe me, try to watch CNN for 30 minutes and then flip over to Fox News. You will get two completely different reasons why the world is messed up and how they think we ought to fix it. But they both agree that we ought to fix the world around us. But for me, it's even deeper than that because I know that Blake Farley knows what the right thing to do is, and often uh, I do the wrong thing. And I'm not even talking in like a spiritual sense. Uh, Like, how many of you find it easier to eat pecan pie than a plate of vegetables? (laughs) I naturally gravitate towards that which is bad for me. I, uh, at the beginning, my my buttons were getting a little bit tighter. Uh, I had somebody tell me, I think he's here. Um, I think Joe Espinoza, are you here, Joe? Yes, he is. He told me at the end of the year, this was really rude. Um, I (laughs) I have this pink shirt that I used to preach in, and he said, man, those buttons are getting a little tighter on you. And so I set a goal for myself, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose 15 pounds. And I am pleased to announce to you guys here in the last week of December that I only have 20 pounds to go. <laughs> I know what is right, and yet I do what is wrong. Maybe you feel that way with your diet and uh, other things in life, but I feel that way also with deeper things. Like, like I, I know I should fear not. The Bible says fear not, yet I fear I know that I shouldn't stress because Jesus has got this, but I was stressed out today. Like I could feel myself stressed out. Um, And I was taking it out, my poor wife, I take it out on her all the time. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been in the moment where you're you're kind of being a jerk and you know you're being a jerk and you like tell yourself, stop being a jerk. But you're like, you can't stop being a jerk. Okay, nobody, it's just me. That's fine. But I was in this moment of just like, why am I so stressed out? I know what is right and yet my myself leads towards brokenness. The Bible would call this sin. Sin is to miss the mark of God, to miss the mark of holiness. And sin always, 100% of the time, leads to death. Death for ourselves and death for others. So if you're broken, this message is for you, just as this lady is broken. As we keep reading along in this story, so she had endured much under many doctors. She had spent, look at this, everything she had And was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Then verse 27. It says, Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. Then look at this faith in verse 28. For she said, If I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. She heard of the miracles of this Jesus. And perhaps that's why some of you are here today. 
Like, I'm just going to give this Jesus guy one try because I've tried everything else. I've read the self-help books. I've, uh, I've listened to Oprah, and Oprah ain't helping me. <laughs> Oprah never helps. I'm just kidding. So, maybe this Jesus guy will help. That's what this lady does. She reaches out, and then look at what happens. Verse 29. It says, instantly, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Now, this is fascinating. Uh, This is actually where the birth of Jesus comes in because this is what makes Jesus different. Generally, when something unclean touches something that is clean, the clean thing becomes unclean. Uh, I'll say it this way. If you have a sick child, we do not put that sick child in a room full of healthy kids so that the sick child will become healthy. Now, if you put a sick child in a room with, uh, with healthy kids, what happens to the healthy kids? They become sick. And yet when this lady reaches out, the sick lady reaches out to Jesus, he does not become unclean, but she actually becomes clean. As a church, we're journeying through the book of Leviticus together, um, because everybody hates Leviticus, and I like to be contrary. So I went straight to Leviticus. And Leviticus is all about this distinction between the clean, which would be acceptable to God, and the unclean, and its rules and its laws about how they can be made right with God. And this is actually in the Christmas story uh, Madison, by the way, can we give a hand for Madison who read the scripture? <laughs> Proud of her. Uh, in, in that verse, that's actually where you stop reading the Christmas story generally because that's where it gets weird. You're like, oh, the shepherds are rejoicing. And then it's talking about circumcision. All right, never mind. Um, but that actually is a quote from Leviticus 12 uh, in which Mary was following the ritual to be made pure from the blood of Jesus. Remember, blood is what would make somebody unpure or ritually unclean. And so she had to spend 33 days in a purification process and then make an offering to be fully purified, to be made right with God again. They believed that they had to work, and they did. They had to work. They had to do things. They had to make offerings. She had to remain away from other people because if she went into other people, uh, around other people, those people would be made unclean, and her purification would have to start all over. She had to quarantine herself because we don't go to somebody who is clean and touch them expecting to be made clean ourselves. Unclean makes other things unclean. And yet what I find so interesting, especially about Leviticus 12 and what we read this morning, is that as Mary was fulfilling the law of God from the blood of Jesus that made her unpure, little did she know she was holding the baby that would fulfill and abolish that very law. See, Mary had to be made pure from the blood of Jesus. And you and I sat here today being made pure by the very blood of Jesus. It's an amazing truth that this lady experiences here. But as she goes, as we go on in the story, she's healed, uh, and then Jesus realizes that somebody has touched him, and the story uh, really kind of hits a climax here. If you were a Jewish reader at this point, you would have gasped that an unclean lady would reach out and touch somebody clean would be absolutely amazing. At once, Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him which is pretty cool, like Jesus could feel power going out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, Who touched me? Verse 32, But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Why was this lady afraid? Because she had just done a terrible thing. 
unpure, unclean, not fit to be in the presence of God, an outcast from the community. And she reached out and touched somebody who was clean. Could have completely jeopardized that person's ability to be right with God and to be made clean. And Jesus says, who touched me? And she's thinking, oh, I'm about to get it. This is, this is the part where I am in trouble. And she comes and she bows down to him in fear. Which, unfortunately, I think is the way a lot of people approach God and the church today. Like, we think more of uh, Leviticus is what we need to do. We need to be, go through a purification process. I need to be made clean before I go to God. Because if I walk into the church, it's going to get struck with lightning, and God's going to burn the whole place down, because I am not fit to be in His presence. And yet, that's not what we see as a response. Jesus says this. And I can just almost hear Him saying this. He says, Daughter, He said to her, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. If you don't get anything else out of this message, I want you to know Jesus came not to reject you, but he came to restore you. If you are broken, you are the exact person who should rejoice over the coming of Jesus Christ because he is our restorer. And for a lot of us, we look at God and we think, he's the God who's going to reject me. Like, like you don't know what I've done. You don't know the things that I did even last night. God wouldn't like me. Your church wouldn't like me. And I would just say to you, this is the exact place you should be. The exact place where restoration begins to take place. And I know for a lot of us it's hard, especially in the Bible Belt, um, because uh, we, we hear uh, a side of Christianity a lot that is what I would call fire and brimstone. Like, you better get your life together or God's going to get you. Uh, or a lot of us, um, quite honestly, we're here because we're scared of hell. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, a sweet lady at the First Baptist Church Woodward, rest her soul, uh, was my Sunday school teacher. And um, I was probably about seven years old and um, was telling me, you know, at the end of our Sunday school lesson, she said, now, do you kiddos want to go to heaven with your mommy and daddy or do you want to burn in the pit of hell forever? <laughs> Man, I'm small, but I'm not stupid. Sign me up. <laughs> and what that causes is a real fear-based relationship with God for me. When in reality, that's not God at all. Uh, there's a famous theologian named Jonathan Edwards where I think a lot of this thought comes from. Uh, he's got a really uplifting sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, I'll just read you a portion of it because I think for a lot of us it would sum up our experience when we come to God and what we think of. Jonathan Edwards says this, The bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow made ready on the string. And justice bends at the arrow at your heart and strains the bow. And it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. You guys feel the Christmas spirit? <laughs> this guy needs a Hallmark movie. <laughs> Calm down, brother. And yet, uh, if I was honest growing up, that was a, my view of God a lot. Like, I better not mess up. I better ask for forgiveness over and over and over again because there's God with an arrow just waiting to be made drunk with my blood, waiting to smite me. And yet when Jesus comes, John 3.17 would tell us, he does not come as a condemning judge, but he comes as a servant to save the world. Here's why this is good news for people like Blake Farley. Because I'm often tempted when I mess up, when I fail again, to run from God. To think God is the last place I need to be. And yet with Jesus coming, making the unclean clean, I can actually run to him when I'm at my worst. And he's not a God of rejection, but he's a God of restoration. 
Uh, I got to preach this, uh, a little portion of this at the homeless shelter last week, and um, I hadn't intended on sharing what I'm about to share there, um, but I, I just felt like led to do it in the moment, and I went back and forth if I should share it here with you guys, and um, I decided I would, because this is probably why Mark chapter 5 has been on my heart uh, so much throughout this holiday season. Uh, every Christmas season, um, getting emotional. See, what happens to me, this is a side note, is I don't get emotional. I, I bottle my emotions up and I push them down. And then when the, when the cork comes off, it's like hard to control. Uh, we were at a movie called The Art of Racing in the Rain, which my family is laughing because they were there. Combines two things that I love, racing and dogs. So I thought, what could be wrong with this movie? Except the dog dies. The opening scene is a dog laying there and dying. And so I literally cried through the whole movie. I'm not talking like, I mean, like I bawled the whole movie. Like, Blake, get it together. So that was a side note. You got that for free. But I... Uh, I think of my dad a lot during the Christmas season. I was 16 years old when my biological father died, and um, it's a real tough spot for me because I had a lot of bitterness in my heart when my dad died. And I remember the last time I saw him, which was around the Christmas season, and uh, I didn't want to go, but I just went to, um, to make my grandma happy, to be honest with you. And uh, I remember going, and, and my dad... Um, he struggled with alcohol, and he struggled just quite a bit with things. And um, I just remember walking in, and just beer cans were everywhere, and um, he was clearly not sober. And I, I had so much anger in my heart. You know, like, you wanted me to come, and you couldn't even be, couldn't even be sober for this. And I just remember my dad um, telling me sorry like a hundred times. And I wish I would have forgiven him in that moment, but I didn't. And I remember standing up to leave, uh, really before he was ready for me to leave. And uh, he gave me a hug, and then he, he stopped me. And I don't talk about this very often because I don't know how to talk about it. There was things that were said that were between me and him, and I don't even know how to, to express them. But one thing he said to me at the end, um, as he grabbed me, he said, I'm so proud of you. He said, there's no hope for me. He said, I'm too far gone. I've messed up, but there is hope for you, Blake. And I wish I knew then what I know now. I wish I could have known this passage because I believe Jesus would have grabbed my dad and he would have said, son, you are healed. You're never too far from God. And I just pray that nobody in this room, and the reason I preach this message today is because the message I could not preach to my dad, I want to preach to you guys. And that is you can run to the glory of God and be made clean. There is nobody too far from the good news of Jesus, from the peace that he provides, from the restoration that he gives to you. And as we uh, end the, the service here, the band, you guys can go ahead and come back up. I want to go to Leviticus 12, which is what I, uh, I mentioned earlier, and just read the last verse. Because it, it shows us something very integral to who Jesus is. Verse 8, it says, Remember, this is the law that Mary is following to be purified from the blood of Jesus. But if she doesn't have sufficient means for a sheep, she may take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. Then the priest will make atonement on her behalf and she will be clean. 
If you remember back to the scripture we led in Luke, the offering that Mary gave was the offering of somebody who did not have the means to make an offering. She was poor, in other words. The God of this universe comes to earth as a human, and he does not come in a palace, but he comes unable to even afford an offering. He's made poor. Why was God made poor? Why did Jesus come poor? He came poor so that you might be rich in him. By poor, I don't just mean financially poor. He came and he lived a life serving others, a life of perfection, a life of righteousness you and I could never live. He was the only one who completely and totally deserved to be in the presence of God. And yet he is the one who received the punishment we deserved. He died on a cross. Not because he couldn't stop those who were killing him, but because he wouldn't. As they spit in his face with spit glands that he was holding together. At any moment he could have destroyed the earth and been done with it. And yet he hung on that cross, pouring himself out. So that you and I might share in the reward that only he deserves. The resurrection. That there are people in this room, no matter your past, no matter your history, if your trust and your faith is in him, you will not taste death. But you will live forever in the kingdom of God with him. Today I pray that for you. And as we close, we're going to do a candlelight service here in just a moment. Um, And I just want to share really briefly why we do that and what it represents, because I believe it represents three things. The candlelight service uh, is a reminder to us. Uh, In a dark room, we start with one candle. That represents the dark, broken world that we're in. And Jesus comes as that light in this dark world. And in John, it says the light will not be overcome by darkness. It's a remembrance of us that Jesus has done this for us. He is our hope. He is our joy. It's why we celebrate Christmas. And then we'll start by lighting somebody else's candle, hopefully not catching the church on fire. (laughs) And as we do that, we are reminded that as we see Jesus, our candle is lit. And Jesus not only saves us from hell or, or the afterlife, even this... The point of what Jesus does is he shows us how to live now even. That I now look to Jesus for my feeling or my, um, my illuminating my life as the life that he is to show me the way as I follow him in every way of life. And then we pass the candle on and we get the privilege of spreading this good news to others and helping God, partnering with God. He doesn't need our help, but he wants to partner with us to spread that light throughout the world. And then we'll have the whole room lit right before we sing. And it's a moment of rejoicing as we look forward to the day in which there is no sin, there is no tears, there's no childhood cancer, there's no bank accounts that we have to worry about, there's no Christmas stress, there's no guilt, there's no shame. It's a glorious day that is coming for those who believe in Jesus Christ. And then we get to sing this song about where it all started in a manger. So if you would, stand with me. And we're going to sing a song, and then I'm going to come back. We are going to sing Silent Night together.